0: to Switchblade Sisters, where women get together to slice and dice our favorite action and genre films. I'm April Wolf. Every week, I invite a new female filmmaker on, a writer, director, actor, or producer. And we talk in depth about one of their fave genre films, perhaps one that influenced their own work in some small way. And you may already know, but a reminder that we are remote recording now. uh, And I'm recording from my bedroom, so I'm going to warn you right now that you will hear trash trucks, birds, um, a menagerie of cats. It's all gonna be going out in the background. The audio will be a little bit different from the studios, but everything else is going to be the same. The only thing different today, however, is our guest, because I'm very excited to have writer-actor Hannah here.
1: Hannah, how are you today? I'm okay. I'm a little tired, pretty good, but pretty pooped. Oh, hanging in there. I'm on, uh, I've got a toddler, so it's keeping me very busy. Yeah, as it turns out, toddlers do toddle. Are they? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
0: They're very it's busy. A
1: pandemic and toddlers. Yeah. It's really bonkers.
0: So, for those of you who are less familiar with Hannah's work, please let me give you an introduction. Hannah is a Brooklyn based actor, screenwriter, and playwright. Um, she has written for HBO's High Maintenance, Amazon's Mozart in the Jungle, and Facebook's Strangers. Um, she's also developed pilots with HBO, Scott Rudin, FBC, Paramount, and Amazon. But even before that, Hannah Boss and Paul Therene, uh founded the multiple Obie Award winning theater company, The Debate Society, uh, and uh, along with director Oliver, is it Oliver Butler, I believe. and Oliver Butler. For the stage, then, Hannah has co-written with Paul nine full-length plays for the company, including The Light Years, Jacuzzi, and Blood Play. As an actor, Hannah guest-starred on High Maintenance and appeared in the films The Outside Story, The Incredible Jessica James, Photo Op, How to Follow Strangers, and Next Life. She received a Drama Desk Award and Lortel nomination for her performance in Will Eno's play, The Open House, and is on the faculty of the National Theater Institute. Now, Hannah has co-written her first produced feature film, Driveways, directed by Andrew Ahn. Driveways stars Hong Chao as a woman who must clean out her deceased sister's house to sell it, while her son strikes up a relationship with a gruff Korean war vet played by Brian Dennehy in one of his last film roles. She and Paul were nominated for Best First Screenplay for the Independent Spirit Awards. And currently, Hannah, you're working with Paul on a commission for Playwrights Horizon, is that correct? Yes, we finished that play, yes.
1: Oh, lovely. Congratulations. Thank you. It took a long time, yeah.
0: Oh, man. I bet. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, just doing all of these different things. Uh, are you tired?
1: Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think I have pandemic tiredness, so it's a new level of tired. I was tired before I should have taken a vacation a couple years ago. If someone had warned me like an astrologer or something, I feel like I would have known this was coming and then I could have rested for this new level of tired. I really hope that you visit an astrologer after this. I don't trust him anymore after this. Like they <laughs> yeah, didn't Yeah, Susan warn us. Miller is. Uh, yeah, they didn't warn us. Susan Miller's on my shit list. I took her uh, her at not not really Susan Miller. I love actually love Susan Miller, and I'm still checking. Um, but uh, I don't know why no one saw this coming. But yes, I'm super tired. Hannah, the movie that you chose to talk about today is Adventures in Babysitting. Can you give us a little
0: explanation why this is one of your fave genre films?
1: You know, Adventures in Babysitting is just a bonkers film. Um, it's just, it's part of that period of time where there were like these kid teen adventure movies, but this is a hybrid. Cause it's also kind of an adult adventure movie, kind of a la Beverly Hills cops kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also just coming. I, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and Evanston, Illinois. And this period of time with Chicago movies, all of the. Jo- I'm a huge John Hughes fan, and I chose Ventures in Baby City because it's just a bizarre film. Uh, and it sort of celebrates Chicago, even though it's one of those like very Toronto y Chicago movies. Oh,
0: yeah, definitely. And,
1: and I just love Elizabeth Shue. I love her hair, which is like a whole character of its own in this movie. It still looks great. And I just love this it still looks great. She's just, and she's just so damn charismatic. And the beginning of the movie, it like celebrates the like obsession of 80s movies with 50s music and then just blues music in 80s music uh, in 80s films and sort of like saxophones and dark alleys and weird lighting and sort of like, it's just such a weird movie Um, and it's sort of part fantasy and it just, it sort of makes me laugh. And it's just, it's very funny to watch it as like a grown ass woman also picking up all these things I didn't really realize as a kid, uh, were in it, but I just, It's something I have a fond memory of, and it's sort of, um, I just love Chicago movies from this time period.
0: And for those of you who haven't seen Adventures in Babysitting, today's episode will give you some spoilers, uh, but that should not stop you from listening before you watch. As always, my motto is that it's not what happens, but how it happens that makes a movie worth watching. Still, if you would like to pause and watch Adventures in Babysitting first, this is your shot. And now that you're back, let me introduce Adventures in Babysitting with a quick synopsis, as quick as I possibly can. There's a lot of stuff that happens. <laughs> Written by David Simpkins and directed by Chris Columbus for release in 1987, Adventures in Babysitting stars Elizabeth Shue as Chris, a high school senior excited for her big date with Mike, only for it to get
1: canceled. My little sister got sick and my parents are going out tonight. Well, um, I could come over and help out. We can make some chicken soup or something.
0: No, you don't want to be there. She's contagious. i don't I don't want you to get sick. Her friend Brenda tries to cheer her up, but Brenda only works herself up into a terrible frenzy and immediately runs away from home. Chris then has to babysit for some kids. Sarah, who's obsessed with Thor, Daryl, who's in love with Chris, and Brad, Daryl's brash friend, who's convinced Chris is this month's Playboy centerfold.
1: You gotta see this month's Playboy because there's
0: this girl in it and she looks exactly like Chris. I'm serious. She's got these... Chris gets a call from Brenda, who's stuck in Chicago at the bus station. Chris, I'm begging you, it's really scary here. I've just seen three people shoot up, a bald Chinese lady with no pants on, and there's this old guy outside who wants his bedroom slippers. She takes her mom's car and the kids down to pick her up, but they get a flat tire and have to hitch a ride with a hook-handed tow-dryer Pruitt. On the way. Unfortunately, Pruitt gets a call that his wife's lover is back and he takes a detour to his house.
1: Dawson here. Yes, I just went by your place. And what did you see? You won't
0: like it. What did you see? That car was parked in front. She's with that bastard again. Where he gets into a shootout with the man. Chris and the kids run and hide in a car only to realize that Joe Gipps is hot wiring it. They go with Joe back to a chop shop and he promises he'll help them get where they need to go eventually.
1: Look, look, i tell you what, why don't y'all come with me? I got a little business to take care of, all right? And then I can drop you off at a train station or something like that. But
0: a big meeting goes down at the chop shop. They're locked in an office with the promise of being taken care of. In the office, Brad finds the playboy with the Chris look-alike steals it and then all of them sneak out in the rafters but end up somehow on the stage of a blues club house rules say that you can't leave until you sing the blues so chris improvises and they get a head start out of the club and onto a train On the train, they get between two rival gangs. Daryl sticks up for Chris and immediately gets stabbed in the foot. You big city scum sucker!
1: You just can't keep your foot out your mouth, can you, boy? Let me (gasps) help.
0: but Chris saves the day and gets him to the hospital where they he gets one stitch, and they're reunited with Pruitt on the run from the cops now. Pruitt tells them it's $50 to get the tire fixed at Dawson's garage, and at a frat party, a cute guy flirts with Chris and helps her raise at least $45 for her car. I can only get 45.
1: Oh, no, that's great. Really, thank you so much.
0: They get to Dawson's, and to Sarah's surprise, he looks a lot like Thor making her night.
1: Oh, Thor, mighty god of thunder.
0: Who is this kid? And, you know, she melts his heart. They go to pick up Brenda, but find Mike on a date with another lady and ruin his night. Get a grip. Jesus. A grip. Do you have any idea what I've been through tonight? Meanwhile, Sarah sneaks off and the criminals chase her into the building where her parents are at a fancy party. Chris and the boys follow her into the party and escape the criminals with Joe Gipps' help. Brad hands over the playboy he stole, the real reason the criminals were after him.
1: See, this is what they were after.
0: Some notes and stuff, you know, that they need. I guess they're pretty important. Then they pick up Brenda, beat the kid's parents home, and pretend like nothing ever happened.
1: Any problems? No, not really. Well, Brad stayed home, and Daryl's sleeping over. Daryl? Oh, what a nightmare for you.
0: Then, Chris gets a visit from the cute frat boy, and maybe this night wasn't so bad after
1: all. The end. (laughs) So much happens. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's so crazy oh, how much God. money, how much you get for
0: your money on this one. Yeah, I really kept forgetting um, half of the stuff that was going to happen. Then I was just like, oh, yeah, that's in my memory. And then when I was writing it out, even again, I was just like, oh, yeah. And then they have to do this and then they have to do this. Yeah, I think David Simpkins, uh, I realize, has been a huge part of my uh, television and movie watching life throughout my my you know from childhood to adult i mean this guy wrote you know obviously this is his first produced film and then he went on and, and wrote like uh, you know angel charmed grim all of these classics on tv if you're into kind of fantasy or adventure kinds of things and um but this was his first movie and he was talking about pitching and kind of like the hell that he had before he broke through with this movie and he said quote the pain and humiliation is still too fresh after all these years. Slowly, by trial and error, and working with a few folks much more successful at pitching than me, I began to get the hang of it. Pitching is a very important part of any storyteller's career. It's how I usually figure out what a story is trying to be by stumbling through a potential pitch with friends and family. End quote. And so he finally figured out how to pitch with this movie. <laughs>
1: I feel like he just walked in a room and described that scene where she has her knife on the <laughs> on the L and is like... Don't Christ. fuck with the lords of hell. Damn. Damn. Don't fuck with the babysitter. Because <laughs> to me, I'm like, that's the point of this whole movie. That's, that is it. <laughs> I know. I know.
0: I love it. And, um, and, you know, the funny part is that that was really not part of the original if i remember correctly um you know it was it was something that they had had, you know added in after you know multiple drafts um and (laughs) i like the idea that a movie this big in a studio you can start with something that's completely different and then end on what we have now, which is a classic. And uh, I was curious about the things that you've worked on and your past and the kind of twisty turny paths that they take, you know, like how, how different have you gotten from your original concept before?
1: That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I should just preface by saying that, you know, Adventures in Babysitting is not like the Quinnish essential piece (laughs) that's influenced my writing, but um, it's funny to think about that I chose something where so many things happen because um, in a lot of the things that I write, um, it's a slow accumulation of small clues and human moments and experiences and small things that lead to something sort of bigger in the end um, that I hope you keep thinking about after. Um, when I was watching, re-watching this um, to chat with you, which by the way, I think it's pretty hilarious and sort of weirdly moving that we're two women in bedrooms across the country talking about adventures and babysitting. (laughs) I just love that it takes a pandemic (laughs) to like celebrate this movie and put it out in the zeitgeist (laughs) again. But um, so many things happen in this movie and, um, and I like that. And I did think a lot of times about like, I'm sure that this movie got a lot of notes and a lot of input on, Needing all these other things to happen, um, but you know, it, I guess in my work, um, I start with an idea, and I sort of I start with a world, and I overcreate and then chisel out um, with my writing partner and sort of figure out the story we want to tell with lots of different layers. Um, but it's a lot less explicit than this kind of storytelling. But I I usually sort of know um, a very general outline, and it stays sort of on track. But there's always there's always things that influence it and you know feedback and uh, sort of taking a step away and, let, and dreaming on a project and going back and realizing that there's a big thing missing and or there's a big discovery and then we change it. Uh, but, but they don't they aren't usually that off. Um, but I'm, I'm dealing with smaller pieces usually.
0: We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk all things, adventures and babysitting.
1: Hey, I'm Janet Farney, host of the JV Club podcast. Ah, high school. Was it a time of adventure, romance, and discovery?
0: Class of 95, we did it!
1: Or a time of angst, disappointment, and confusion?
0: We're all tied together by four years of trauma at this place, but enjoy adulthood, I guess.
1: The truth is, it was both. So join me on the JV Club podcast where I invite some great friends like Kristen Bell, Angela Kinsey, Oscar Nunez, Neil Patrick Harris, and Keegan Michael Key to talk about high school, the good, the bad, and everything in between. My teenage mood swings are getting harder to manage. The JV Club. Find it on Maximum Fun.
0: Welcome back to Switchblade Sisters. I'm April Wolf, and I'm joined today by Hannah Boss, who we're talking about adventures in babysitting. Um, so, you know, as we kind of touched on before, uh, this script went through a bunch of changes with David Simpkins. Um, at some point, he said, quote, the first draft was pretty much what you saw after it turned into this very complicated oceans 11 heist film that was the script Linda and Deborah read that their unpaid intern Stacy shareer who's now a big deal she got it to them and it was pretty quickly when Linda and Deborah said to me we're not doing all this crazy heist stuff that's way too expensive and that's when it became a series of adventures end quote so it was a
1: heist film <laughs> Wow <laughs> there's so many bad guys. <laughs> There's so many bad guys. And I want to know what, I mean, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Shoe is so sweet and nice, but I want to know in the heist story, like I forgot that there's such an important uh, par, uh, an important part of this is this playboy and that she keeps being compared to the centerfold, which with my like 2020 mom minds, I'm like, what? What? Everyone thinks she's so charming and she's famous from this Playboy and the mobsters or I mean, the, to me, I'm just like, oh, I just totally missed that. And now I'm like, oh, that's irks me now a little bit.
0: It's, uh, okay. So Elizabeth Shue at this time, um, this was the first, you know, big movie that she was carrying herself, you know, she wasn't the sidekick, um, and, uh, or the love interest. And so that Playboy thing was actually a lot of, um, uh, anxiety for her because she was, You know, uh, a young woman who at 19 could have become a lawyer, like she was like going to go to Harvard to study law and then ended up um, acting just because she thought it was fun. And then um, all of a sudden people were kind of treating her like she was stupid. And so this was a really difficult time and uh, a very difficult thing for her. She said, quote, This is to her interview in the LA Times, quote, please emphasize I did not take off my clothes for the shoot for the magazine. Posing for the mock centerfold was the toughest thing I've ever done. I'm not going to do nudity on camera or a Porky's type exploitation film to become a star. I don't think it's necessary to promote yourself as being sexy and placate the fantasies of a film's audience. And I also don't imagine men will desire me after seeing Babysitting. When I actually was a babysitter, nobody paid me much attention, except the kids liked me because I let them stay plate end quote um oh i love her i love her i know yeah she was saying that quote the last thing i ever wanted was to have someone see the film and see me as a sex object end quote and i thought that that was um i mean yeah she was 23 at the time that she was getting these interviews people were kind of treating her like a baby or a sweetheart and um and that was something that people kept latching on to especially men in those interviews where they were just like hey hey so playboy centerfold and she was just like motherfucker like
1: (laughs) i kept like really leaning in when when they would cut to her responses every time the centerfold would come up and there was something where i was like damn she's a good actress because in you know, there are so many actresses I feel like at this time that could have played up the sexuality, the weird science moment, kind of like just embracing the sexuality and the way that she, all her takes, there's something in her eyes that are like, she's in the power position and she never cracks a smile, never uses her sexuality to get what she wants in this, but the the everyone else's misinterpretation of it they they they're the fools do you know what i mean yeah actually chris Um, columbus said something really
0: interesting he said quote elizabeth has a strong sense of morality that clearly
1: emerges in her acting end quote i mean she's so she really holds on to like there's something about how she carries herself in this movie that makes me not barf at the at the ways that it could go wrong with her character even dare i bring up the controversial blues scene where normally i would just <laughs> just totally cringe. There's something where she's even charismatic as she's badly singing blues on stage. I mean, she somehow has such dignity. And I know we're still talking about Adventures and Babysitting, but we there's are, something but- where she carries herself and she's just so damn charismatic and in control. Except she's 17 in the end. In that last moment, I'm realizing this college guy is coming, is following her in the middle of the night. It's after one o'clock. Yeah. And she's 17. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I'm a mom. So I'm a goddamn mom. So I, I need to just, yeah. Doesn't stand, that part's a little funky, but that's okay.
0: Do you, I mean, do you think about this in terms of your own work too? You know, like where you're a mom
1: now and you're like, what, why would they do that? I'm not going to write that. (laughs) I mean, a hundred percent, you know, a hundred, I wrote our movie Driveways when I was pregnant and it was like, it was, I was already starting to sort of change my view on things and sort of, sort of just really get introspective and think about my life and what this is going to mean and what it meant. And that's, that sort of was, it was very critical in, t- in when I was starting to write our movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it changes,
0: yeah. I mean, like talk about morality, maybe it like changes your morality of, um, you know, like what you want yeah. your characters to do or how you expect them to be.
1: Yeah. It's like making you think about responsibility in the characters you put out in the world. Um, on a different level, um, or you think about your own relationships with your your parents and um, how you're gonna learn from either mistakes or you know learn from good things. And
0: yeah, I have to say, I mean, you know, we've talked about John Hughes, and John Hughes was very much a a, a kind of close colleague and and mentor for Chris Columbus, and this was his first feature film as a director. Chris Columbus had um, uh, obviously written um, before. But um, I watched this movie and I kind of almost prefer it to um, some of the John Hughes movies in the way that the women are um, uh, treated or not treated or their agency, perhaps. Um, but, I, you know, you had mentioned Molly Ringwald. And um, as David Simpkins said, quote, Paramount bought the movie. They optioned the script. We were in development for a year. Ferris Bueller was kind of the big inspiration for this, so they had Molly Ringwald there. Deborah and Linda took the script to Molly, thinking it was a slam dunk. She said, no, I'm done with this stuff. Paramount had a dilemma. They were trying to figure out who in their roster of stars they had deals with that they could put in the babysitter role. For about a week, we all seriously considered Bette Midler, which would have been a major rewrite... And then, and then that fell away, thank God. <laughs> then they brought us share. Then they brought then they put us in turnaround and we were all kind of bereft. I thought my career was over. I looked for another job. Deborah, Linda, and Chris, bless their hearts, took it and shopped it all the way down and got to Disney. Jeffrey Katzenberg said yes, and it happened right away.
1: End quote. I uh... <laughs> I really want to see the share version, I gotta say. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, my God. This would be so amazing. It's. Uh, oh, my God.
0: For, for you and your career, I'm curious because you've done, you know, a lot of stage work, a lot of TV work. Um, and, you know, with this feature film, are, are you a person who has had to kind of rewrite for casting quite a bit? Or has that been, you know, kind of free and clear, like casting's already done? You know, we don't have to think about that.
1: Um, I, a, a lot of, a lot of my plays I've written for actors, my Paul Therine and myself used to write just for ourselves, um, our early plays. And then we start, we'd, we'd write specific roles for actors that we admired or wanted to write for. And then when we started writing TV, we were writing for specific characters, um, that were already cast. Um, and then, uh. And, and I guess in this is my first feature. Um, I always have people in mind, but um, I, uh, usually with plays, but I think um, I write usually for just the characters now that I have in mind. Um, and I haven't I haven't, had, I haven't had the experience where I've had to sort of adjust things. I guess with driveways we had to sort of do some adjustments um, with Brian Dennehy, who was in my film because um, he was older and There were some physical things that we had some limitations on, but in the end, um, you couldn't really, it didn't really matter. Like you didn't have big action sequences. no it is not an action film by a lot um no uh (laughs) we just literally had to do some things where we're like we're not gonna shoot the lawnmower scene with uh him driving on it maybe we'll just have him next to it like small things Mm -hmm. about very very minor things i mean that's like tiny losses for the major gain of a gain of having oh yeah in your movie oh my god yeah um rest his kind soul yeah um he was amazing, just an absolute dream to work with, and just you know, he's eighty-one when he shot with us, and he was just so on it, and just loved being there. He was great. So yeah, if we sh- if we lost a few moments of riding a lawnmower, we're fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, it wasn't like oh man, it's like everything that I need in this this movie. If he doesn't ride the lawnmower, then <laughs> we're screwed.
1: No, definitely not. <laughs> no, it's not like adventures in lawn mowing. Um, it was it was not necessary for our plot twist at all, and there was nothing hidden in the lawnmower, and there were no mobsters.
0: um I'm curious also because you you know as both a performer and a writer have you gotten into spots where you've had to or where people have had to rewrite things for you after you've been cast in that from the other side of things
1: maybe not rewriting um I've had opportunities where um I like to improv and if someone wants to improv or wants to have like a scene go longer I've had really lovely experiences where I could um, just sort of in the moment, in character, keep going or change something that, you know, I guess would be more suited to me as I figure out the character. And that's just like a lovely bonus to working in a good collaboration.
0: Nice that you kind of segued for me, but uh, they did quite a few uh, improvised rehearsals for this film, which, I mean... You can, I think, potentially tell because uh, the, the laugh lines always hit. Um, but Keith Coogan, um, he said, quote, we did a lot of improvised rehearsals. The director and the producers said, as long as you have two or three great memorable sequences, then you have a movie. So they focused on the blues bar scene, the train sequence with the gangs, and then the chop shop. All that stuff with Joe Gipp was amazing. And that's uh, played by Calvin Levels, by the way. His line, a mall? where do you where do y'all think you are? Uh, Boise, Idaho, was improvised, totally him. And a lot of those lines came out of those kind of improvised rehearsals where we really peeled open the scenes
1: and had a lot of fun playing with them, end quote. And Kelvin Levels mm-hmm. is the best actor in this movie by a lot. I feel like he's in a much better movie than everybody else. Yes. He's by far my favorite. I mean, he is so good. And,
0: you know, I feel like we probably can't talk around this, but when it comes to um the idea of a bunch of white suburban kids in Chicago um meeting a you know a person of color, a black man in Chicago, there's going to be in the 80s <laughs> a kind of um racism written Blind into those spots. roles. <laughs>
1: yeah, yes. Exactly. This is this is a very controversial film to me now. Um, I feel like as a kid, I didn't realize it, but yes, the casting choices on this and the way that characters are portrayed are not, uh, are not to my liking. Uh, and, but I feel like Joe Gip really probably did uh, the best job he could in a really funky situation of a movie. Um, yeah, the blues scene too is really controversial. Uh, yeah. The gang scene is, controversial there's a lot of things in there that do not uh, that are pretty funky
0: um for for you i mean what's been your experience like of um you know writing about race now in you know uh, 20
1: 2019 now 2020 i mean i i only write from like my experience um but um you know we wrote driveways which is uh which Andrew Ahn, when he was interested in the film, he had suggested to our producers, he asked them if they could cast these characters with Asian-Americans, and the producers said yes, and which is wonderful, and that's how we came about our story, um, which is really lovely, and I'm excited that our producers said yes, and we were very excited to have Hong in our cast, and I think that organically, the story that we wrote, um, it really got deeper when you know this Korean War vet, uh, which was scripted, um, just happened to be you know played by Asian Americans, um, and it's not it's not on the nose, and it's not really about that, but it is about that. So um, I think it's a fine line of really lucky. Uh, casting and really uh, brave and a series of yeses that made it happen. And Andrew Andrew did that, which is just awesome. We're going to take another break. We'll be right back. Judge John Hodgman won a Webby in the comedy podcast category. After 10 years of production, Judge John Hodgman has finally won the Susan Lucci of the Webbys. What is Judge John Hodgman? Comedy writer and television personality John Hodgman settles disputes between friends,
0: family, coworkers, partners, and more.
1: Is Machine Gun a robot?
0: Should a grown adult tell his parents about his tattoos? Should a family be compelled to wear matching
1: outfits on vacation? Listen to Judge John Hodgman to find out the answers to these age-old disputes and more. If you haven't listened to Judge John Hodgman, now is a great time to start.
0: Judge John Hodgman is available on MaximumFun.org and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Switchblade Sisters. I'm April Wolf, and I'm joined today by Hannah Boss, and we're talking about adventures and babysitting. I want to talk about language and how to write for young people. Um, because David Simpkins, you know, in the 1980s, he was growing up with, you know, like a John Hughes dialogue became normal and it became a, a normalized in terms of letting, you know, teenagers be crude, letting kids be a little bit cruder and kind of being honest with that. And he said, quote, Somewhere along the line, executives, movie makers, storytellers realized that there was this audience there for kids who were not being spoken to, who were not being presented with the things that entertained them. If you're going to write for kids, to kids, about kids, I think you have to obviously write the way that they speak or risk not being truthful, end quote. Um, And for him, that was uh, very important um, in terms of letting... Uh, especially the boys talk to one another in this movie. Um, But at the same time, he said, quote, the central relationship was between Brad and his friend. And if I remember correctly, they did a lot of down and dirty talking about love and relationships and sex. It was more of a boy centric film at the time that I wrote it. But then it changed into Elizabeth's um, point of view, end quote.
1: Wow. I... I, I sort of thought that the sort of the the, the boys were pretty unrealistic but maybe that's just uh, maybe it's just dated but I really thought that Sarah the the young sister was a lot coming from I, I thought her dialogue was just like a lot more believable than the boys um, but it's probably just dated I really like writing for kids um, kids and old people Um but there's something that's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to try to get it right. But I thought Sarah, the sister was much more believable. And the guys were kind of, um, sort of the cliche of the time to me. Yeah. Do you think it was like Um, over the
0: top, them kind of drooling over a Playboy mag or something or?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, yeah, but I feel like that was, you know, 1987 was definitely the time of sort of, um, celebrating, the drooling over women and the high fives and mm-hmm. to me, um, maybe it wasn't that it wasn't uh, realistic. It's just maybe not my taste these days. Um, <laughs> yeah. I oh, really? These, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I know. <laughs> I don't even think it's funny. It's like I'm so on the other side that on the other side of things, where I'm like so put off by it. But it didn't. It wasn't. It's a. It seemed sort of just very movie moviey to me. It didn't seem like real kids there are some nice scenes though between like brad and chris i think that brad sort of pawning over her is are sort of realistic and sweet yeah um, those those seem more grounded to me but
0: <laughs> i feel like we should also get to that scene you know the the game that you you already talked about this but don't fuck with the babysitter um on the l train and um the you know we were talking about kind of like language and boy-centric things and, and lewdness. And that is a moment where we get to see Chris kind of wielding that language because she's, she's not that person, but she wields it as a weapon. It's a very coarse word. And that was something kind of very calculated that, um, Chris Columbus and David uh, David Simkins did is that they gave her one moment that felt shocking because it punctuates that scene. So she's like able to kind of break in into that kind of darker side of herself and and you know save these children and and I think that I appreciate that kind of thing where they withhold 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 so much for her and, and give her one moment of a uh, kind of shock and uh,
1: I. Fucking love that moment. (laughs) (laughs) I, well, I love, I love that moment. I love seeing her being so good. I love her carrying in her pocket, like the cough syrup with her, that she's still trying to get people right before that scene to like take naps. And then she gets to drop the F bomb and she does it so well. And it's what I remember from that moment. And it really makes the whole film better to Mm -hmm. me. And like, this gives this movie more gravity Um, I'm a huge F dropper. Um, I always have been. I was raised by my single mom who also swears. uh, I hope she's not listening. But um, I, I, you know, F bombs are something I thought about a lot while writing my film. Um, This single mother, Kathy, talking to her son, she swears. And I think that people swear. And I think that sometimes... and like I think that saying fuck sometimes really is what you're feeling and there's no other way of expressing something um and I feel like I didn't even realize this now but Adventures in Babysitting does it to like the purest degree. I think that movie is better because of that F bomb and it shocked me because I forgot it was there even though I knew it was coming but to hear it I was like this is so satisfying. This is like giving her some power um in a movie also where It could be so many other versions of a ditzy character or again, using her like sexuality. Um, But I love how she is sort of, she's sort of like a a little wonder woman in this movie in a way.
0: When you're, I mean, you you write for TV a lot. Is that something that you're thinking about in terms of language and whether or not you're giving your characters like too many swears or, or are you, kind of tuned in.
1: I've been lucky. I've been lucky to be on cable. Um so I don't I don't have um as many constraints, but I know I've definitely had um drafts of things where I was like this person is swearing a lot. We got to take a lot of this out, you know? Um, <laughs> like you're rereading it and you're he- like, "Oh shit, what was I?" <laughs> I'm like, "Oh fuck, there's a fucking shit. Yep. I'm like, "Oh, okay. Yeah, there's that's a lot of swear words for that person. Uh, let's take out almost all of those. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to do a swear pass. <laughs> oh, I definitely have to do a swear pass always. I think I had to do one on driveways also. Um, especially to make sort of some stuff that happens later in the film, um, land better. Um, I definitely had to. Yeah. It's, sometimes there are uh, fuck moderations for sure. Um, yes. A bar, a, a fuck barometer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's why podcasts are fun yeah. do you have a, an amount that you can have in your podcast no we're just explicit that's it you're
0: mm-hmm. you're free you're free I know which is good for me because I don't think I'd be able to handle it um, the, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for coming and uh, well you didn't go anywhere I, I want to thank you so much for being in your uh, bedroom or your apartment and uh, talking about in babysitting with us and also um, how can people watch your movie Driveways
1: Um, you can see driveways. Um, you can rent it on Amazon and Apple and a lot of cable providers. Um, you can go to filmrise.com. Um, it's on the internet. It's, it's hopefully easy to find now. And it came out and yeah, please check it out. Go check out driveways. Thank you.
0: And thank you for listening to switchblade sisters. Uh, obviously we've started doing something a little different at the end of every episode. Uh, from now on, I am uh, giving you a staff pick, a recommendation of a film directed by a woman. And, uh, Uh, You know, hopefully you guys have a little extra time in between, you know, panicking, work, kids, pets, all of that. Maybe gardening, baking, so you can watch a movie. Um, but... The staff pick today is a little thematically linked, as I've been doing. Um, this one is maybe the darker side of a teenage girl going on adventures to try to um, save a family. This one would be Deborah Granick's Winter's Bone. Um, that one uh, got Jennifer Lawrence her breakthrough role, and you know, obviously her career has taken off. Uh, Deborah Granick is a past guest of ours, too. She talked about Sam Fuller's pickup on uh, South Street, but Winter's Bone is is a fantastic movie and is also its own kind of adventure film, um, you know, just with a lot maybe more at stake. Uh, so take a look at that if you uh, have a chance. And if you want to let us know what you think of the show, you can tweet at us at Switchblade Pod or email us at Switchblade Sisters at MaximumFun.org. And please check out our Facebook group too. That's Facebook.com groups slash Switchblade Sisters. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of MaximumFun.org don't fuck with the babysitter maximumfun.org
1: comedy and culture
0: artist owned, audience supported